So we, we're going through a book called The Story. It's, it's basically the Bible, but abridged. And then they connect all the p- sections of it together so it makes sense in a narrative. So you can see the chron- chronology of it and see where things fall. It's been fantastic. And last week, we saw the part of the story where Jesus resurrected. Do you remember that? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pretty awesome. That, that was unplanned, but that week fell on Resurrection Sunday, which was quite remarkable. So this week, we are in the new work that God did in the church in the book of Acts that I'm really excited about. We did a series through Acts years ago, and it was one of, the, one of the favorite things I've ever preached on. But, you know, last week we saw the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, just the sheer power of it. We saw some of those mysterious parts of the, of the story where uh, when Jesus was crucified, many holy people came back to life from their tombs and were testifying about Jesus. Uh, just stuff like that. Crazy power coming up in unexpected places. And we were reminded, and then, of course, at Jesus' resurrection, you know, he's the firstborn, he's the, he went first as, as, uh, as far as resurrection goes, and then he says all of us will follow him in resurrection. And that resurrection power is, uh, was brought about by the Holy Spirit raising Christ to life. And uh, we, we were reminded in Romans eight eleven, if the same spirit, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, reader, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, this is a, this is a crazy thing. You know, Jesus' death and resurrection were powerful. World-transforming, earth-shaking, temple-curtain-tearing, history-shifting event of the resurrection after three days in the grave. And here, Paul is saying in Romans 8, the same spirit that raised him to life is in you, believer. Isn't that crazy? So what more can, what, what more powerful thing is there than to raise a man from death to life after three days in the tomb? He was, he was, not, <clears throat> he was not temporarily in, in a, you know, a coma. He was dead. And the spirit of Christ raised Jesus back to life. And that same spirit lives in us. It's meant to be a source of great hope for us. That as, we, as God is working in our lives, uh, we can believe that the resurrection power of Christ is also bringing about surprising results in, in, in us. But uh, today, as we get into the book, book of Acts, we're beginning to see the first fruits of Jesus' resurrection. Um, the, the power of God breaking out into the world in, in a world-transforming way. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I'd like to, to backtrack now to um, Jesus' prayer in John 17. This is known as the high priestly prayer. And this is a really important prayer of Christ because it was right before he went to the cross and died and rose again for our sins. And so this prayer is very instructive to us as we, as we are uh, eavesdropping in on it because it shows us what, what things were on the heart of Christ as his mission was coming to its crescendo. So John, um, John 17, Jesus leaves us with a prayer and he leaves us with a promise. A promise and a prayer. So John 17... 20 to 26. Jesus has just gotten done praying for his living disciples, and now now we're coming to a place where he's praying not just for them, but for all of us who will follow. And Jesus says, My prayer is not just for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Does this apply to anybody here? This is us. All this time later. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, 
just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given to me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. That's a lot of pronouns. And they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What's Jesus praying for here? He's praying, as I said, for all of us, uh, for all of us who, 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 are, who are believers in the message of, the, of Jesus and the disciples. And his prayer is that we would be one. And he emphasizes this twice. He said that we may be one, that the world may believe that you have sent me, in verse 21. And then, in verse 23, he says the same thing again in a different way, that they might be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you have sent me. So Jesus is teaching us here that that unity is something that is going to have an evangelistic appeal. Like it's going to appeal to people deeply to meet a church where people are loved by God and they have unity with one another. That's Jesus' prayer for us. Next, Jesus promised us something. He promised us the Holy Spirit. And this, this prayer is in Acts 1, getting into our text for today. This is Acts 1, 4 to 6. On one occasion, while he was eating with them after his resurrection, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ to life, comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is a promise. A prayer for unity that the world might know that God sent Jesus. And then a promise of sending the Spirit and if you read like John, John in the teens, John 15, 16, 17, he's talking about the Holy Spirit constantly, prepping the disciples. You know, I'm not going to be with you physically any longer, but the Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit, is going to be in you. So wisely, you know, Jesus' followers obeyed his command. And, you know, he had just, he had told them, um, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised. And by that, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. But they obeyed his command, and the believers all go to Jerusalem to a place called the Upper Room. 
And they waited and they prayed, uh, unified in prayer together, praying, praying, seeking God, waiting. Um, what's God's favorite kind of car? It's an accord, Honda Accord. It says all the believers were in one accord. Yeah, in, in some translations of the Bible. I'm just trying to break up the monotony of listening to me speak. Um, I, I always thought that was a really terrible joke. <laughs> so God's favorite car is a Honda. Um, so the disciples were all in one accord. They were in unity, waiting and praying, in obedience to Jesus' word to them, to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And finally, 10 days after Jesus ascended to the realm of heaven, Pentecost came. And this is a time when it was the Feast of Weeks for the Jew Jewish people. And there's lots of people from out of town uh, in the known world coming to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. Um, it's a day 50 days past the Passover, which is what uh, that word, the root of that word means. Pentecost. And the believers, of course, had begun to think about Passover in a different way. They began to think, well, Passover was the time when Jesus died for us and then rose again. So they're, they're waiting up there 50, 10 days after Jesus ascends to heaven. And we're going to pick up the story in the upper room where these unified and praying disciples were waiting. I'm going to read from Acts 2, 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, different languages. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the wind, the fire, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it they each, that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazing. Everyone hears this, the sound, and some people hear their own language being spoken. How is this possible? So amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And when the disciples heard this, one of them, Peter, exclaimed loudly, hey, it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, that's not what happens. Peter stands up. <laughs> I'm glad that was funny to you. It made me laugh. Peter stands up among the disciples and he preaches a sermon of explanation, answering the question, what's happened here? To the crowd who are bewildered. This is Peter, who, during the Passover, when Jesus died on the cross, had denied Christ three times. 
and he gives this, this common Galilean fisherman a little faith, gives an amazing, biblically rich explanation of what has happened in the day of Pentecost. And he talks about the history of God's work in the world uh, and, and what God did through, through the prophets all the way up to Jesus and his crucifixion. So this is just a very articulate speech, which is uh, an evidence that something has really transformed Peter. The same spirit that brought Christ to life is, is burning, burning inside this disciple. Instead of uh, the impulsivity that Peter's known for where he does something foolish, he, he reflexively shares this biblically rich uh, sermon. The power of the Holy Spirit was evident. And in this, Jesus' prayer from John 17 that we read, the, the, the prayer and the promise, uh, came, came to be in a small way, or in a, in a big way. He wanted, Jesus wanted his disciples to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the promise, so that they may be one, so the world might believe that God sent Jesus. So here we have all these believers in one accord, in one voice, in complete unity, praying in obedience to Christ's command, and then the promise of the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and it had an evangelistic result. You know, all these people in their different languages heard the gospel in their own language. Remember John 17. Jesus prayed that all of them may be one, so the world might believe that God has sent, that Jesus has sent, God has sent Jesus. And then in verse 23, just a couple verses later, that they may be brought to complete unity so the whole world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, this is, this is Jesus' evangelistic appeal to the church. Jesus says, when the world sees how Christians are unified in the Holy Spirit, they're going to look at that unity and they'll believe that something supernatural is afoot. Something special is happening here. When the world sees the church in complete unity, in the Holy Spirit, something inside of them will say, maybe there is truth to this message that I've been hearing about God. Because that's not normal for these very different people with very different backgrounds to be in complete unity. Maybe those non-believers would believe that God sent Jesus for them. Because they can see God's love on those people. You know, in Jesus' prayer, he said, you know, that they will see how much you love, you love them. Um... So this, this is just an incredible answer to Jesus' prayer. Because that, uh, that, 3,000 people became believers that day. Probably the ones that were not talking about the disciples drinking wine. Um, everyone else became a Christian that day, pretty much. Amazing. God's prayer, Jesus' prayer answered the promise and, the, and the, um, the prayer and the promise answered. Friends of mine who recently start, have started uh, joining us at New Life Fellowship, the brick, on, the brick that they put on the wall, it says, it says in that brick, we love enjoying potlucks, which I really liked. <laughs> thought that was really awesome. And I'm going to paraphrase. It says, we live for potlucks. We can't live without potlucks. We love, like one of the four things about their family they wanted you to know, we love enjoying potlucks. Well, they're in luck because today we're going to be having a potluck at New Life. 
And all of you are also in luck because you're staying for the meal as well, right after the sermon. I'll come back to that. Now you've heard about, you've probably heard about evidences of God's Holy Spirit coming on people. We saw people speaking in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We, we know about the gift of prophecy that's given through the Holy Spirit. We know about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and goodness. The fruit of the Spirit grows in every believer. Another very powerful evidence of the Holy Spirit that we don't often look into because we, we've sensationalized the others, others so much is unity. It's an it's a, it's a evidence of the indwelling of the Spirit. And that unity being expressed in deep, loving fellowship. So this is one of those evidence of the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus believed in John 17 that we see working out in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit expressing itself in unity. And when outsiders from our church or any church see our love expressed in unity, they see something that is in very short supply in our world today. I know they always say things have gotten worse and worse and worse. But, you know, in the time of Christ, talk about factionalism. Like, there were so many different factions of people. And Jesus, if you look into who he chose as his disciples, he chose, you know, Marxists, Democrats, Republicans, independent, like, basically this big group of people that should not get along very well. And he chose them to be his disciples. That's kind of a supernatural, that's why there's often little uh, disputes among those guys. I'm sure that there were some interesting campfires with all those different viewpoints being represented with Jesus and his uh, disciples. But, but when anytime non-Christians, seekers, cynics, or outsiders see the unity of the church, Jesus' prayer gets answered from John 17. They are, they, they are one. They have unity. It's, it's clearly a supernatural thing when people that are so different from one, one another have unity in the Holy Spirit. And though it might not seem like a big deal to us, like speaking in tongues and prophecy, it definitely is a big deal because Jesus, Jesus, that's what he actually asked for in his prayer. It's one of his final prayers, that we would be one. And the reason that he said we, he wanted us to have unity and be one was so that the world might know that God sent Jesus and that God loves them. They see that we are supernaturally one and they see that we are supernaturally loved by God. A miracle. So in Jesus' day, this was amazing. In our day, it's equally amazing when people that are so different have unity in the Holy Spirit. So what about my friends who wrote on their brick that they love potlucks? Now, when is, when is a potluck not a potluck? What makes our church potluck different than a trip to the Golden Corral besides the obvious sneeze guards? Um, also, it's closed and we're open, so. <laughs> uh, defamation lawsuit coming. All of Saratoga listens to my sermons, and, you know, it's going to get in trouble. Um, what makes our church potluck different than a trip to the Golden Corral with your buddies? Well, a potluck is not a potluck when we start viewing it as an expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of unity from the Holy Spirit expressing itself in love. It's not just a potluck anymore. It is, and I'm not exaggerating when I say it, it's not just a shared meal. It is one of the key ways in which we save ourselves from this 
corrupt generation we are living in. Listen to Jesus. After, after P, as Peter's Pentecost sermon is winding down in Acts 2.37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, Peter's sermon, and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42. They devoted themselves. Here's the direct fruit of what's happened. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when is a potluck not a potluck? When it's an expression of deep abiding love and fellowship among believers and unity. In this, Jesus' prayer was answered. In verse 42 here, 2.42, it says that the disciples were devoted. This Greek word devoted means to be in constant readiness for something, to be waiting on constantly, to showing oneself to be courageous for, to persevere and not faint, to continue all the time, all the way, to be steadfastly attentive to, to give unremitting care to a thing. So when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, they were devoted in that kind of way to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer, meeting together in large groups like, like we are today, and going home and eating meals in a small group, which some of us do among the church. The thing that's mentioned twice in that, in that list is breaking bread and eating together. I think it's just fascinating that they were devoted. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to breaking the bread and sharing this meal. And when, uh, when they did this, when they, when they lived in this kind of devoted way to one another, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was like an evangelistic thing, just like Jesus said it was going to be. Jesus said that's what would happen. And there was unity. And there were people being added to their number. So this is, this is when you know a potluck is not just a potluck. <laughs> this passage talks about eating together in large and small groups several times. The early church had a reputation with outsiders, and it wasn't for their political leanings or even their moral beliefs. Their reputation was that they were always getting together and eating in perfect unity with one another. Later, we see in the book of Jude, they had gotten such a reputation for these big meals that they were having all the time that they started being called love feasts. That's the real answer to when a potluck is not a potluck, when it's a love feast. It's a love feast. A potluck becomes a love feast when we persevere with devotion, which I will remind you means to be in constant readiness for, to wait on this consistently. So it's like, is anyone here 
in constant readiness for a potluck. Always have your crock bucket spot in the car. <laughs> Be in constant readiness to have a couple families from church over to your house. Yeah, we're, we're going to make some extra burgers. We're going to get together. This is devotion to one another. Through the simple act of, of a meal, which has not changed all these years, it's a sign of fellowship, it's a sign of friendship. People that had different political ideas or had racist ideas in Jesus' day, they would not eat with certain other types of people. If they were from the wrong race, if they had the wrong belief system, because eating is a sign of, of friendship and deep abiding fellowship. You are committing some of you adventurous people to sitting next to somebody who you don't know very well and forcing yourself to be a little more extroverted through a whole meal. You're committed to that, that whole meal. And in this, in activities like this, we see evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit that's visible to the outside world. Uh, th this is the way that God said the world would know that he sent Jesus, that we'd be one, that we'd have unity among one another. You can't really be one and have unity unless you are inviting people into your full, your full life. That's when a potluck is a love feast. It's like, think about a potluck like, um, like, a bi like Bible study and prayer. For some people, it's even more of a discipline than for others. I mean, some people would love to scoot home and just kind of have dinner to themselves. You know, Holly talked about like the desire to, you know, be in the woods. You know, it's like, ugh, you know? But she pushes herself. Because it's almost like a spiritual discipline to, to, to have unity. It's something we express our devotion to one another by coming together and always being ready to do so making it a habit of our lives. And the amazing thing I, th I think when I read this passage is that as the church d does spirit-filled activities like coming together in fellowship and breaking bread, the world looks in and they say, well, that's interesting. You know, liberals and libertarians sitting next to each other. You know? Um, every race, every tribe and tongue in fellowship, Devo showing their devotion to one another, stepping outside of their comfort zone to, to build unity. And I think that, you know, it, as it says in, in the passage in Acts, Peter warned them. He warned the people to escape this wicked and perverse generation. And right after that, talks about eating together twice. So I really think this is one of those things that is, is countercultural. It's not just a potluck we're having at the end of every month. It's a love feast. We look at it a different way. We look at it as a way to build our unity in Christ. So I agree with my friends. I think potlucks are amazing. I think we should use them as feasts to express our devotion to one another in a very divided world so that everyone who looks in can see that we are loved by God and that God lovingly sent Jesus for them. So I want to pray. And then I want to sing a song of invitation to the Holy Spirit to come and, and dwell with, it, with us as we, as we break bread together. Heavenly Father, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just speaking in tongues, not just spiritual gifts, not just fruit of the Spirit, not just prophecy. We want unity expressed in love and sharing a table. 
and drawing near to one another in a world that tries to divide us and tries to keep us separated along ideological lines and racial lines. We want to be different. We want to express your Holy Spirit's fullness because we know your, your kingdom is so diverse, God. And one day when we are in, in paradise, we're going to hear people and we're going to understand what they're saying, no matter what language they are speaking, because your Holy Spirit's going to open up those doors that have separated us, perhaps, from others. And we're going to have perfect unity then. But right now, just in our very small church, I pray that we would build a devotion to one another, that we would build um, this, this act of eating together, this act of having a family or a person over for dinner, of inviting someone to join us on a hike in the woods, knowing that we are doing our part to build the unity that Jesus died to bring us. And I pray, Lord, that we would have unity, that the world might know that you sent Jesus. So with that, we're going to, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to have, have its way among us. As we come into this meal together, it would not just be a, a, a potluck, but it would be a love feast that we are drawing near to one another, expressing our devotion to you and to, to our brothers and sisters in Christ.